Gracious God, may only your words be spoken and your words be heard. Amen. God loves you. God trusts you. And God depends upon you. Now, you might already know those things and believe those things, but I suspect that for many of you, you actually might be hearing those words or thinking about those concepts for the first time. Or having heard them before, you might have trouble believing those words or concepts. But the message is no less true, so so I'll say it again. God loves you. That first Christmas was about God making God's love known in the Word made flesh. God trusts you. That first Christmas was God trusting Mary and Joseph with God's own life. And if God trusted Mary and Joseph, that means God trusted humanity. And that means God trusts you and me, us. And God depends upon you. The radical claim of Christianity is that in the person of Jesus, through Mary, God became incarnate. God took on human flesh. A newborn infant baby. And that means that the newborn baby, Jesus, like all other newborn babies, was dependent upon others for survival, for food, for shelter, for swaddling clothes. And that means that God depended upon humans. And that means that God depends upon you and me, us. God could have chosen some other way. But God chose to love and to trust and to depend upon humanity, us. Here's the thing. That first Christmas was not about God somehow letting down God's guard for a while and adopting human attributes as a kind of 33-year-long experiment in radical humility. No, the first Christmas was not about the demotion of divinity in becoming human. That first Christmas was about the promotion of humanity into the divine. In choosing to love and to trust and to depend upon us, God revealed to us what it means to be most fully divine. And God modeled for us what it means to be most fully human. So speaking of models, when I was a child, the whole time I was growing up, this sign, which simply says, children need models, not critics. This sign hung above my father's desk. I'm the youngest of five children. 
Growing up, we were fortunate to have a father who believed this, who modeled this, who lived this. For us, four boys and my sister, he knew that what we needed was a role model, someone who would serve as a good example and not a critic. One time when I was growing up, and I think I was maybe 10 or 11 years old, I was working out in the backyard helping, or supposedly helping, my dad build something. What exactly we were building, I don't remember, and the details aren't all that important. What is important, what I do remember, is that while I was trying hard, I was doing it wrong. Maybe I was cutting the wood that he needed for the project the wrong length, or maybe I was using the wrong saw for the job, or maybe I was using the right saw but in the wrong way, and perhaps maybe even in a dangerous way that I could have hurt myself. What's important is that my father, watching all this, knows that I'm doing it wrong. And he has at least three possible ways to respond. One possibility is to be indifferent, to passively stand by, to pretend he didn't care, to pretend there are no standards, to drop any expectation of doing the job well, for him to expect nothing from me, for him not to tell me about the ways I'm messing up the project, or to not warn me about the ways that I might be harming myself. A second possibility would have been for him to criticize unhelpfully, to ridicule, to belittle, to say, you're screwing it up, get out of the way. What was I thinking in asking you for help in the first place? It's easier to do it myself. I don't need you, which is a way of saying, I don't need your help, is a way of saying, I don't need you. And then there's the third possibility. The one, thankfully, that my father almost always took. And that was for him to say, here, John, let me show you. To step in, yes, to take hold of the saw, not to take it away, but in order to put my hand in his hand, and then to rest his hand on my hand until I got the feel of the thing to guide that saw back and forth until I picked up the field. And I could hear him saying things like, let the saw do the work. Keep your other hand here. Let's make a relief cut up here so the wood won't pinch when you get to that point. And then he would step out of the way long enough to see if I was catching on. He would step back and then step back in if he saw that I needed encouragement or direction or modeling. And he would remind me that he was counting on my help. Now, I realize that I am an enormously fortunate person in this regard, having had an earthly parent who, while not perfect, consistently took that third role with me. And I know that not everyone here has an earthly parent example, uh, an earthly parent who's capable of providing that kind of example. But I'm hoping and I'm betting that everyone in this room has someone in their life who has engaged them in a healthy and positive way. 
Because, of course, the real point in my sharing that personal story is to make a point about God. So many people, so many people, you tonight, perhaps, believe God, the one whom Jesus called Abba, Father, mostly plays one of those first two roles. So many people believe God plays one of those first two roles. Maybe you believe that God is indifferent to the world, that God stands passively by, holding up no standards for humanity, expecting no excellence from us, not intervening or telling us about the ways we are messing up our lives. Or some of you may believe that God is not indifferent and does get involved, but only to criticize unhelpfully, to ridicule and to belittle us, to say to us, you're screwing up. Humanity, I don't need your help. That's the stern and judgmental God. The God whom the writer Anne Lamott refers to as an uptight, judgmental, perfectionist God. God is a high school principal in a gray suit who never remembered your name but is always unhappily leafing through your files. Now, if you're accustomed to thinking of God in one of those two ways, as indifferent or disinterested or as judgmental and unkind, I understand why, because unfortunately there is a lot of bad religion, there is a lot of bad Christianity reinforcing those images. But isn't it possible to allow yourself tonight, perhaps, to wipe the slate clean, if only for just a few minutes, and think about God in that third way? That God chooses to relate to us as a good earthly parent does? In other words, what if God's sending Jesus that first Christmas was God's way of saying, here, let me show you. What if that first Christmas was about God stepping in and taking humanity by the hand, not to take away our free will, our choices, our decisions, but to model for us what a loving life looks like, a life of forgiveness and love and compassion that we can imitate. Imitate awkwardly at first but God encouraging us until we pick up the feel ourselves. And isn't that, by the way, a different way to understand those times when we feel that God is distant or absent? What if God is out of love stepping back to see if we're getting the hang of it ourselves? What if God's believing us, believing in us during those times of seeming absence? Knowing full well we're going to mess up, but knowing that we know that God is close by and is ready to step back in to provide encouragement and direction and modeling. God knows we need models, not critics. And if you want a pretty concise summary of Christianity, you couldn't do too much better than this. In Jesus, God models not criticizes. That first Christmas, Jesus is a newborn. But, of course, Jesus doesn't stay a newborn. The Christmas story itself doesn't even end with his birth. It ends with shepherds out keeping watch over their flocks by night. 
And all of a sudden, they encounter an angel of the Lord and God's glory blazing all around them. And they are told what we are being told. God is breaking into the world. God is breaking into your life. God is breaking into your heart. But don't be afraid. That is not something to be afraid of. God is not someone to be afraid of. God breaking into your world, God breaking into your life, God entering into your heart is good news of a great joy. If you haven't heard that message before, drink deeply of it tonight. And of course, not even that is the end of the story. 20 verses later, we're told that Jesus grew and became strong. And in Jesus, God literally starts walking the walk. Living and eating and drinking as one of us, living as a model. And to the constant irritation of religious authorities, people who care more about religion than loving God and loving one's neighbor as oneself, Jesus consistently lived his life not as a critic, not as a doctrinaire, but as a model. God was showing us in Jesus' life, in Jesus' teachings, in Jesus' healing touch, in Jesus' compassion, in Jesus' provocative courage, in Jesus' unconditional grace and love. God was showing us how God's kingdom can, in fact, come, and God's will can, in fact, be done on earth in Asheville as in heaven. By us. By anyone who allows his or her hand to be taken by God's hand. That first Christmas was God saying, here, let me show you. Jesus was God showing us what a life of forgiveness and love and compassion looks like. And not just showing us, but empowering us. So that we not only learn from Jesus, but through a faith community, this faith community, we learn to imitate Jesus, to apprentice ourselves, to disciple ourselves after Jesus. Yes, awkwardly at first. And no, never perfectly. But confident that a loving and patient and present God is encouraging us to pick up the feel ourselves. We need models, not critics. God knows that about us. And so, Christmas. And so, in Jesus, God saying, here, let me show you. Let me show you, God says, because God loves you. God trusts you. And God depends upon you.